0: Hello, my name is Dan Dick, and welcome to Church Matters. Last November, we began a conversation on forgiveness. Today, we'll be broadcasting part two of that conversation with Marina Cantacuzino, founder of the Forgiveness Project in the UK, and Wilma Dirksen, author, speaker, and educator on forgiveness, and founder of Candace House, a place of refuge for victims of crime while they're engaged with the justice system. Let's pick up our conversation where we left off. I recently heard someone say that forgiveness is impossible when there's a huge power imbalance between the parties. Wilma, where you're at in your forgiveness journey right now, are there occasions when one does not forgive?
1: I guess I think forgiveness also helps us deal with places where we are powerless, where we have no uh, ability to even face um, the issues around a case. Probably our case in point right now Is where everything is out of our control and um, but I think in my definition of forgiveness or my understanding of it is that um, forgiveness is a way to to um, to move on from letting go of my own issues and my own anger and and looking at it from a personal way if I can forgive and move on to a place where it's almost like a trapeze you know you you let it go on the other side, there is a place of, of um, a surge of div- what I sometimes call divine imagination, and uh, where we can we, where we can deal with the issues, if we have a forgiveness and a forgiving mind, and a creativity that will help us to even deal with the even the most powerful. And, and so it, it's kind of the forgiveness also offers a process of working it through in a place of compassion and understanding rather than a reaction of violence and hatred. And I think in compassion and, and understanding, we can do a lot more, even in the, in the face of impossible situations. There's always a Goliath out there, but there's always a little brook where we can find the five stones and we will always have a sling. And and so I think that's part of the process. I will not give up. <laughs>
0: you made reference to where we are right now. And for listeners uh, beyond our, our local regional area here, can you just encapsulate briefly where you are at right now?
1: Well, we just went through the trial about two or three years ago where um, the person who murdered our daughter was convicted. And... Uh, and sentenced to 25 years without parole. And we thought it was finished, right? And right now, we've just heard the, it went to the uh, appeal court and we we just heard the ruling that there needs now to be another trial, which holds us in the place of victimization again and holds us in the place of, of constant debate and And that just feels like a place of being real powerless and, and frustration and and uh, and we wanted it to end. We wanted to move on, you know, so here we feel that we're being held by an institution. so it's really calling on all of our resources to how do we do this now? How do we how do we forgive? How do we understand the situation? and then what do we offer to that? And how do we again find our freedom of soul where we can continue to laugh and enjoy? our lives as, as we have them.
0: It seems to me then that you're once again in a place of asking yourself, can I continue to forgive? Have I forgiven? Yes. Where am I on this forgiveness journey once once again?
1: Yes. It calls up all the issues, all the... And I've isolated 15 issues of that we have to go through when we want to forgive. It's not a simple, quick decision. It's huge. And you have to deal with the fear, the anger, the grief, the the all of that. And, and that's exactly where we are. And it's, but on the other hand, I think at this time, there's a kind of curiosity. Okay, now what are we going to do? <laughs> How, we believe in the process. We believe that we can arrive at a place where we will, again, find that freedom. And it's going to be, it's a challenge, but we can do it.
0: Marina, are there occasions when one is intentionally not forgive?
2: i think it's such a personal thing it's a that's a really difficult question to answer because for some people there are limits to forgiveness and yes um certainly for instance one of the women that i've interviewed from rwanda says i could forgive one person but how do you forgive you know the hundred plus people who killed and raped members of my family how do you do that so for her it's impossible to forgive. And there's no reason why she should forgive. And then there's another case, for instance, a woman whose son was killed in the London bombings. And while she was able to talk about forgiveness in terms of the um, Islamic fundamentalists who did that, because she had some, yeah, I suppose, some empathy for the young men who were brainwashed in the north of England, um, she was, incapable of forgiving the police. I'm not sure what happened, but the police had done something. And again, there was a power imbalance there. She felt she had no voice. Um, and you know that's interesting to me. And everybody is just so different. And I, it's very hard in a way to answer a question like that, because there's no right or wrong. It's entirely the person's own emotional response um, to forgiveness.
0: So there's a theme running through our conversation here. I think that forgiveness is not a light switch that you can turn on and off, but maybe more like a dimmer switch. And it's, uh, it's constantly variable, where, depending where you're at.
2: Yeah, I agree. I think you line yourself up for forgiveness. I think it's a discovery. And I think one day you can forgive, and the next day something can happen, and you might hate all over again. And that's the reality.
0: Can reconciliation happen without forgiveness? Wilma.
1: Well, my understanding of the word reconciliation um, conjures up a, a feeling of, of, of a relationship, uh, an ongoing and uh, an understa- a deep understanding of each other, and, um, and in that light, I don't think, if there's been a conflict and there needs to continue an ongoing, um, close relationship of reconciliation, that you can do that without forgiveness. I think we try. We try to be nice to each other, and we want to, but unless we go deep into the issues, um, I think this is where you often have blow-ups and things like that, because there has to be integrity in in forgiveness. Forgiveness demands integrity, and um, so to pretend that we're friends on, on a deeper level, you know, then then I don't think it can happen. Now, if we're talking about just a, a co- sort of casual relationship where, you know, we're living in the same world, and um, there I, but no, I think forgiveness is absolutely essential. I guess I have to go back to that. My understanding of forgiveness is absolutely essential in in, uh, in keeping us together in the same room. Marina? Yeah, thinking about this
2: it's, it's a difficult one because initially I would say, no, it doesn't depend on forgiveness. But then thinking about, you know, a reconciliation with a friend or even within communities, I would say it would be impossible without a degree of forgiveness because forgiveness allows you to turn the page and, and move on. And it would be a sort of false reconciliation almost if it didn't happen. I say a degree of forgiveness because it may not be... Complete in that sense, but I had an interesting conversation with someone who was one of the architects of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission once, and he said at one time when they were planning in South Africa, he said when they were planning it, there was a discussion about whether forgiveness should be mandatory, and he said thankfully we saw sense, Um, and you can absolutely see that you know bringing people to the truth hearings if forgiveness had been expected or become an obligation, it would have been disastrous. And yet there was reconciliation of a a kind. I'm wondering if you have questions for each other and what those questions might be.
1: Why did you come to Winnipeg and are you going to come back?
2: (laughs) I came to Winnipeg because I was very lucky to receive a Winston Churchill Memorial Trust Fellowship which essentially is a travel bursary for people who want to explore more into their subjects of work or interest. So um, we run a prison programme called Restore in UK prisons, and it's um, a restorative justice victim empathy programme, and I wanted to learn more about um, restorative justice and Winnipeg And all the tradition of the Mennonite church here seemed to be an excellent place to come and learn.
0: Here I asked you to ask each other questions, but your response now has prompted a question in me. Uh, How did you hear about uh, the Mennonites and their connection to restorative justice?
2: In um, England, we have more of a Quaker tradition. But some of the Quakers that I know talk about the Mennonites. And I was very lucky to meet someone called Lois Edmund, who's one of the church members here in England. And she came and helped me with an evaluation that we did of our prison work um, when she was on sabbatical. She volunteered her services, was incredibly helpful to me. So obviously, when I won the award, the fellowship, it was an obvious thought, I must go to Winnipeg. Wilma, I was just wondering how you managed to come to a point of forgiveness during those many, many years of not knowing. Um, It must have been a complete wilderness, and I know now it's not finished, but during all those years, you managed still to line yourself up for forgiveness. I just wondered how you could do it when there was so much, so many question marks, so much unknown.
1: Well, I think personally that was when I, um, <clears throat> I realized that you have to do the two things in forgiveness you have to uh, walk the walk you have to do the work and um, so we were very busy doing the work as each issue came up I realized that I had to do something one was um, my story was fragmented then I had to write my story when I found out that I needed an answers about people who killed Murderers. I managed to go into Stony Mountain and look at them and ask them questions, and um, and and when it came to spirituality, uh, I had to face my issues with God, and I had to work those out. So I had to do the work, and then on the other hand, I also had a faith, a faith that I had come to know from my father through the Mennonite culture through uh, my faith in in in, in Jesus and God and higher power whatever we're going to call all of that so i had a strong belief that i had a presence and a god with me who could hold who could hold it so the stuff that i couldn't deal with rather than acting it out and killing people <laughs> because there was that urge, right? There was that urge of just acting it out and pushing people away and all of that. I could take all of my issues and my stuff and my yuck and I could put it into the hands of my God and say, give it back when I can deal with it. And and some of it he's still carrying.
0: (laughs) I've asked you some really big questions, Wilma and Marina. Thank you so much for your insights and for taking the time to sit down and have this conversation with me today. It's been a pleasure.
1: Thank you. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thank you so much.
0: That completes the second and final part of our two-part series on forgiveness. We have over 20,000 listeners of this program. In 2012, Church Matters podcasts were downloaded nearly 6,000 times. We are grateful for each and every listener. To continue hearing Church Matters, please consider supporting this program with a gift to Mennonite Church Canada. To give, just call 1-866-888-6785 or visit MennoniteChurch.ca and click on the donate link. My name is Dan Dick and you've been listening to Church Matters. I'll close out our theme on forgiveness with the words of departed talk show host Bernard Meltzer. When you forgive, you in no way change the past, but you sure do change the future. See you again soon.